Hello. <laughs> You're listening to the Important Cinema Club. Oh. Shocktober edition. <laughs> I am a robot. Kill, kill, kill. And I'm your host, Justin the Clue, and I'm here today with... That's the sound of a creaking door opening to reveal me. The Will's... Crypt Keeper himself. <laughs> I, I hope you all uh, die listening. <laughs> That's not even a I, pun. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to think of a pun and I couldn't. But my name, I could see the panic in your face. <laughs> the true horror. I wanted to do a Crypt Keeper impression. Yeah. But my name's Will Sloan. And today mm-hmm. we're doing a very special episode where we're going to help you program a 24-hour movie marathon. Because it is October and people love watching horror movies at that time. I do. Uh, even though I watch horror movies the entire year, got to put my bonafides on the table. Mm-hmm. But there's just something special about the season where it's like a universal feeling of let's watch something spooky. Mm-hmm. Do you ever get that or not really? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I know when I was a kid, I used to love to uh, rent horror movies uh, from the video store and kind of marathon them in October. But I was too young and too scared to watch actual scary horror movies. So I would watch a lot of like universal stuff and like gremlins or that sort of thing. I don't know if I talked about this, but when I was a kid, I was so easily scared that like I could not watch horror movies and I would cover my eyes and plug my ears because it was too scary. Guess what, people? That's still how I watch horror movies <laughs> because jump scares get me every time. And not that I'm terrified in the sense that I go to bed seeing stuff in the shadows, but man, if there's a loud noise, I'm going to jump out of my seat and I love it. Well, I don't scare. No? And I, you know the realities of the world. Well, you know, Donald Trump is a president. <laughs> what is there to be afraid well, of? Well, you know, oftentimes people will say something along the lines of, God, The Shining, that was such a scary movie. And I'll want to say to them, didn't you notice that Jack Nicholson was in it? Like, <laughs> like the fact that this famous guy is in the middle of it means, like, how scary can it be? Do you have difficulty <laughs> interacting with dramatic entertainment? Like, Wait, that's just Ben Affleck, not Batman. Why should I buy this? Well, I think we can expand on this as I get a little further on, because to me, the scariest movies are ones where, like, you're kind of thinking, who are the people who made this? Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah, absolutely. And also, I went to see It this week, which I thought was good fun. But I also realized that I think, I've, I, think I know when the jump scare is coming now. Well, I think everybody knows yeah. when the jump scare is coming. Yeah. Uh, the thing about a jump scare, especially using it as a good example is that it's structured more like a roller coaster you see the like Mm. thing that's gonna take you up and you're gonna know when the drop is coming Mm. but if you're involved in it you can still enjoy it okay does that make sense well i'm too busy trying to make sure everyone around me knows that i don't scare (laughs) i I have my arms crossed and i'm like typical (laughs) i'm a big boy so we're going to sit down in our pajamas with our popcorn like Ima- big boys do. Imagine you're having a sleepover with me and Justin. I know, every woman's fantasy. <laughs> and we just grabbed a pile of videos from Rogers because uh, they're having a deal that you can get uh, 12 movies for, I don't know, $20. That sounds like a deal. And you get to keep them for seven days because we're old and we will never let go of this nostalgia that we have for physical media. Well, I have to say the conceptual framing device of this episode is already flawed because I curated my list by all of my movies back to back. However, we're going to alternate. That's right. So, so but it's like me and you made a deal where we went, all right, you rent six movies, I'll rent six movies, and we're going to show them to us because I don't know what your list contains. And you don't know what my list contains. Right. So we, because that's the true shock of this episode. So we're going to start really early. Let's imagine this is a Saturday and it's noon and we're going to watch some movies. 
Because you want to be involved. Okay, this this is already fucked up because I'm imagining we're starting around midnight. <laughs> so 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 let's say that you and I are curating things in a parallel universe that is in the same living room and we're watching them together. And in this universe, it's night at all times. Yes. And noon when we started, we are exhausted already. Okay, okay. If you don't mind, I'll just take the first movie. And I wanted to start with a little movie called Lady in White. So Lady in White is a film that me and my friends watched in a horror movie marathon those 24 hours and it kind of blew us away because we didn't know what it was and we weren't really expecting anything from the trailers it looks like kind of an amblin spielberg-esque tale of like a child um witnessing a murder and the supernatural happenings um that follow him after that but the truth of the matter is is that the writer director funded this entire film himself so while it does have Pretty slick production values. It takes place in the 50s or 60s, I believe. So it's a period piece. It's also super dark. Like, hilariously dark. To the point that you see a little girl get murdered, like, two or three times. Oh, nice. And the kid almost gets choked to death by an adult. Well, I like seeing kids hurt and killed in movies, so... (laughs) Well, I think what's important about children in horror movies is that they feel in danger. Because, like, most horror films where it has kids, it's rated PG-13, you don't feel like they're not really going to get hurt as the film plays along. But if it feels like they're in danger, I think that's really important. And Lady of White, because it has such a particular point of view, uh, this director only directed this film and one previous to that because he put his money in both of them. And when Lady in White tanked, his career unfortunately went nowhere. But it's a really personal work that was based on his life. So while it does open on Halloween... It actually spans a whole year of this kid's life, like people that die, the fact that his town has to deal with racism, and all this crazy stuff that you wouldn't usually see tackled in films that are pointed toward kids. Mm. And luckily, Scream Factory put it out in a super duper collector's edition with like three cuts of the movie and commentary and making ofs. So if you've never heard of this film, I would highly recommend it as a Halloween viewing. Well, as Justin knows... I'm not an ideal marathon guy because I get tired easily, mm. and if the marathon goes past midnight, I fall asleep. And I'm trying to bear that in mind as I curate my list, because I want to take you in a in a dark and twisted journey through dreamland. I want you to be falling asleep and waking up and having the movies mix with your dreams and just, just fucking you around with mm-hmm. this list. So I want to start with the funnest movie on my list, a movie that will get you, like, pumping your fist and uh, will be super energetic and will make you immediately want to fall asleep after. And that is The Boxer's Omen. Oh, man. Yes. A 1983 film from the Shaw Brothers studio in Hong Kong, directed by Chi Hung Kuei. Yeah. Uh, He directed a whole bunch of movies, kung fu films, lots of exploitation, was supposedly a monster on set. Uh, He did some women in prison films Mm. where he famously like dropped rats on actresses and stuff like that. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. The plot ostensibly is about an injured boxer who asks uh, his brother to avenge him and to find a way to lift the curse that has burdened their family. I didn't know that was the plot when I watched the movie because the movie is just a sensory overload of stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever seen a movie that had so much stuff in it. You've got kickboxing, dismemberments, kung fu crocodiles. You get someone's skin being torn inside out. It's like if Lucio Fulci directed a Shaw Brothers movie. Yeah. That's what the Boxer's Omen is. You get a nude woman covered in maggots emerging from the corpse of a crocodile. 
There's lots of blood and guts. It's like, imagine the Holy Mountain, but less disciplined. Just pure sensation. You watch it, and it has all this crazy stuff. Anything that you would, like, would be unforgettable in another movie. And yet this movie can also evaporate from your mind almost instantly. Because it's just... It's just like such an in-the-moment experience. I actually programmed this film at a 24-hour movie marathon, and it played at, I think, 3 a.m. in the morning, and everybody instantly fell asleep and like didn't wake up for the rest of the movie. That's a lesson that when you do these kind of marathons, any length, try not to play subtitled films <laughs> past like 2 a.m. because people will not be able to engage. That's but interesting. If you're doing will strategy here and you're already like sleep-deprived, You've been up for days. It's the perfect to come in and out of it. Someone's <laughs> shaking you awake to take in these colorful images. But I love this movie. It's pure entertainment. Um, I don't think you like it that much. No. Um, I've tried to watch it, I think, twice at this point. And I can appreciate and I agree with everything that you said. But I, every time I watch it, I find it glacially slow. Huh. Like, the stuff that's happening is cool, but the way that it kind of presents itself to the audience is like look at it happening it doesn't have that kind of rapid fire um energy that i would associate with hong kong cinema or even this director that's funny i find that baffling because to me the movie is just like non-stop crazy stuff i don't know folks, i am in the high minority on this one maybe i'll watch it again this year give it another chance folks watch it decide if you're team justin or team will nope. and you know what's also funny normally you're the one who loves the crazy over the top stuff and i'm the one who gets tired out by it <laughs> yeah so i don't know uh so my next movie uh is who can kill a child oh terrific now this is a great movie it was actually remade a few years ago and in a terrible uh modern day English language version that completely misunderstood what it's about. It's, um, I believe a Spanish film about a couple that go to an Island and find it abandoned, except for a few children that are hanging around. And what they quickly discover is that these children are actually murderous monsters. And this is not a bloody film by any stretch of the imagination. It's not a super horrific film, but what it is, is this, fascinating atmospheric slow burn where you're just waiting for that other shoe to drop mm. and that like something awful is going to happen and spoiler it does and it's amazing when it does and you know the opening credits play to like real atrocity footage <laughs> yeah. just to set the tone <laughs> and, and that is, hangs over the rest of the movie this is a movie where like you don't even really know what's going on but there's like information kind of presented of how this is happening that leads to a really funny scene and that leads to a really creepy scene involving a pregnancy hmm. and like i said it's not it's not super violent so don't expect that but it's just creepy and it's dealing with one of those taboos of killing children on screen directly and kind of interacting with it going we know that people don't do this so will we will we hmm. and you have to watch it to see if that's how it actually ends. It's a merciless and cruel vision <laughs> and a very effective film. So you're tired out from the boxer's omen. Let's enter dreamland with Lucio Fulci mm. and his 1981 masterpiece, The Beyond, a favorite of both of ours. This is, of course, the movie where a woman inherits an old hotel and realizes that it was built on one of the gates to hell. Mm. This is a movie that I remember in my head, even though I've seen it, you know, four or five times, I remember it as being a movie of moments. Yes. You remember the spiders, you know, taking apart a guy's face. You remember the hospital with all the zombies in it. And you remember 
the vision of hell at the end of the film. So like I want, you know, as the viewer is falling asleep, I want these images, these very strong and striking images to kind of plant themselves in their head. Also, as with a lot of Fulci's best movies, this, the power of the images, the power of the music, and the fact that everything is just a little bit stilted. The fact that a lot of the movies have elements that are frankly bad. Yes. Like bad acting, bad dialogue. Um, uh, bad story construction. Yeah, but the bad stuff and the good stuff is like inextricable, and it all goes together to create this effect that is, and this is a word I'm going to overuse a lot this episode, dreamlike. It's funny that Fulci, for me, the Beyond is always in a battle with uh, City of the Living Dead as my favorite one of his like all-out gore films. Because I think we mentioned in the Fulci episode, but he was known as like a comedy director before he had a hit with Zombie. Mm-hmm. So he had these three uh, films that are great, Zombie, Beyond, and City of the Living Dead. And they kind of get like more experimental as they go on. Mm-hmm. And even City of the Living Dead has like these teleporting zombies. But at the same time, I don't think Th- City has the same uh, level of iconic imagery mm-hmm. that the Beyond does with its New Orleans setting and the Lovecraftian kind of anything goes mm-hmm. leading up to a finale that is so iconic that it's been stolen in a million movies over mm-hmm. time. <laughs> the Void. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I think there's a reason that it's a classic, even with all of like the faults that you mentioned. It's like if somebody said, like, what's the Fulci movie that best represents him? It's got to be this one, right? Yeah, The Beyond, yeah. probably. All right. So after Who Can Kill a Child, I want to let people laugh a little bit. You know, have some fun with one of my favorite Italian horror movies of all time, which is Cemetery Man. Directed by uh, Michele Suavi. Have you seen this one, Will? I haven't. It's uh, on my letterboxed watch list I at the moment. I love this movie. I bought the VHS. It was one of the first VHSs that I ever got. It had a nude woman on the back. <laughs> and I remember that my stepmother walked in while I was finishing it up. And when the credits rolled, she went, I hope you didn't pay too much money for that. <laughs> but this... that's what parents are for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but this is a fantastic movie. There's a reason that Mikhail Suavi was utilized by Terry Gilliam as a second unit director on the Adventures of Baron Munchausen and the Brothers Grimm years later when Gilliam went back to Italy. Mm-hmm. It's that his sense of style and storytelling and even character are Gilliam-esque but pushed in, I would probably say, a more form direction. This film is, unlike a lot of Italian pictures, very aware of its own structure, which is episodic, but it just understands every beat that needs to be hit. For people that don't know, it's a zombie picture, and it's about uh, the groundskeeper, played by Rupert Everett, uh, the American star, who shoots people that come to life every, I believe it's like two weeks, but while this sounds like a really like exciting, oh no, he has to stop these zombies, from the first frame, it's all about the drudgery of this blue-collar job that he has to shoot these zombies and not understanding like why life is going on, why am I doing all this, and is mixed in with like these wry moments of humor, including him meeting death that looks exactly like the death in Baron Munchausen, that big thing with the long black cloak and the skull head that looms over him. And it's difficult to explain a film that's so visual of why I love it so much. But I think it really comes down to the fact that by the end, you're actually kind of moved by what happened. Which when you talk about Italian horror, you're like, whoa, 
I didn't think that could happen, while at the same time being incredibly dark. And unfortunately, Mikhail Suave is a director that he was the apprentice and second unit director of Dario Argento. He made a documentary on Dario Argento. You can get it on the Phenomena disc. And in the 90s, the Italian horror industry just bought him out. And his son got very sick, and he actually had to retire from filmmaking for about a decade. So he never really was able to go back in. But thankfully, you have Cemetery Man, also known as Della Morte Della Mor, which is amazing. And not enough people know it. It actually played at the, uh, the cinema a few years ago in the rep house. And it was a free screening on 35 millimeter. And there was like one tenth of the audience was there. Because like um, people just don't know about it. Fuck. It, I, like, I it, wish I was there. Yeah, I know. And uh, check it out. And also check out Mikel Suave's first film, Stage Fright, which is my favorite Italian slasher film of all time as well. So you're asleep now. Yeah. So now it's time to, like, inject some pure goddamn nightmare fuel into your brain. (laughs) I said before that the movies that scare me, even though I don't scare, are the ones where I watch them and I think, who are these people? How How did this thing get made? Like, could these people be criminals? And... Few movies illustrate this better to me than Roger Watkins' 1973 film Last House on Dead End Street, which we've discussed on the podcast before. Yeah. Um, This is a film about an ex-con played by the auteur himself, Mr. Roger Watkins, who is released from prison and decides to make a snuff film to have revenge on the world that has wronged him. This is a movie that was edited down from a rough cut that was supposed to be like three hours long. And it was called The Cuckoo Clocks from Hell? Yeah, something like that. Uh, All the dialogue is dubbed post-sync. Visually, it looks like, you know, somebody ran the film through the the washing machine. It feels like something that has been cut into pieces and re-edited. Yeah. Which makes it feel even more dangerous because you're like, wait, what's going on? Like, what is the scene? Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. And you think, who are these people? Everyone looks kind of pale and looks like they're all kind of hippie runaways. And the film was never properly distributed as well for a long time. So nobody knew who the director was. That Exactly. And this is something that we've kind of lost with the internet is that feeling of being like, what, what on earth is this? You know, this is off topic, but I remember once when I was 10 years old, I rented this movie called The Worm Eaters mm-hmm. by Herb Robbins. And like no movie creeped me out more than The Worm Eaters. Just thinking like, what the fuck is this? Who are these people? <laughs> like it like bothered me for weeks after. And and like Last House on Dead End Street could do that to you too. Now, Roger Watkins eventually reemerged to, um, you know, accept accolades from his small cult fan base before his death. And, uh, before he reemerged, he became a director of pornography. Mm-hmm. In fact, a pretty good director of pornography. Yeah, yeah. very good Corruption director of pornography. Corruption is a good movie. Available from Vinegar Syndrome. Yeah. Man, we, I've just turned into an ad for like DVD labels. That, <laughs> they should just pay me every time I'd say, yeah. or send me free discs. I'd be open to that as well. But, but I think of like with, with Roger Watkins, when I think of like a horror filmmaker who had one great movie and then never had the chance to do it again, I think of him and it's Last House on Dead End Street. I want to talk about a film that Will has seen and is on that same wavelength. That's like, who are the people that made this? And that little film is called Winter Beast. Oh, terrific. So Winter Beast is, (laughs) I don't even remember where I heard about it. Uh, And it was available on DVD, sold directly from the director's. But supposedly that link doesn't work anymore because Will himself tried to buy a copy. I tried to buy it and then they they never sent it to me. So I had to get e- uh, PayPal to reimburse me. And the story on 
the back cover is basically like there's a caretaker in some campground who's dealing with monsters that are attacking. Now, that sounds like your generic, I don't know, 80s horror movie, right? The difference in this film is that a young group of filmmakers wanted to make an Evil Dead, and they tried their best, but they just couldn't quite get it together. So the film just sat on the shelf for, I assume, a decade, (laughs) and then they shot the rest a decade later. And they did their best to make it seamless, but holy shit, can you tell the difference? (laughs) This film is amazing, because on one hand, it's just like a badly made monster movie shot on Super 8. And then it's also shot on Super 16, and it cuts between both of them, including shots of the main character growing and losing a mustache, (laughs) and stop-motion monsters that pop out of nowhere for no reason to attack people. What about the scene with the dildo? Oh my god. (laughs) Well, I like to... I like to let people know to just look for a dildo in the movie, (laughs) and when you see it, wonder why nobody is reacting to it. Uh, I love Winter Beast. It is the definition of a WTF film where you're, you want, you want to know who made this and like what was going through their mind and how they got everybody involved, including one of the most hilarious villains in horror movie history. It's right up there with things, which we've talked about a lot when it comes to like, what is going on? The next movie, a VHS copy of it was discovered in the VCR of a serial killer named Stephen Pennell. This is a movie that was brought up before Congress at the Mies Commission when they were trying to criminalize pornography. And it's a movie that, when I saw it, uh, bothered me more than most movies have. And I'm not even really recommending it to our listeners, Mm. except for those who know what they're getting into. And that's The Taming of Rebecca from 1982, directed by Phil Prince. It is a hardcore BDSM porn (laughs) film, uh, and I'm including it in the horror marathon because a it's kind of scary and b imdb lists it as a horror movie so why not it was produced by a company called avon who had a theater on the deuce that would play extreme pornography phil prince himself the director of all these films was later arrested for assault and uh, robbery and jailed. There was an urban rumor floating around that after he got released, he killed somebody and then was put in jail again. But I Holy think, shit. But I think that's been debunked. I don't even want to say what the plot of this movie is uh, because it's disgusting. It, it, this is the favorite porn movie of Robin Bougie of Cinema Sewer. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Like a lot of porn movies, it's cheesy. Yeah. And yet it bothered me for a couple of reasons because... You watch a movie like this and you understand the link between pornography and body horror. Mm -hmm. The two genres are not that far apart. And you become aware of the vulnerability of the human body. And you know, a taboo of showing the human body hurt. That That's a taboo that, like, the Mondo movies exploit, for instance, and that you don't normally see in movies. Also, pornography, like horror and like comedy, is a genre that doesn't get a lot of respect, partly because it hits you on a gut level like a very primal level Mm -hmm. as opposed to an intellectual level. And also with this one, uh, even though it's cheesy, it has this desperate early 80s 42nd Street vibe to it where you see the people in it and you think, again, who are these people? What, What sad route brought them to this place? It's a movie that's indefensible except 
that sometimes it can be interesting to spend a little time in the darkness. Did it ever get properly released? It was released in theaters. It was released on video. But on DVD or Blu-ray? It's on DVD from After Hours Cinema, which is how I saw it. I remember one one night I was doing laundry and I thought, well, why don't I watch a movie that's about an hour long um, while this laundry is going? And then I put this in and like immediately it like punches you in the face just <laughs> in the fir- opening seconds. Wow. And it doesn't It doesn't let up. And it just has this kind of like hateful vibe emanating Mm. it for all 60 or 70 of its minutes well uh kind of still on that vibe uh (laughs) my next film is water power the most (laughs) (laughs) my eyes just popped open (laughs) (laughs) because there's nothing more scary than a forest enema i don't know who directed water power that was sean costello That just made me sick of it because you were talking about Cinema Sewer. And I remember reading an article about that. Well, I was actually kind of like thinking about, you know, there had to be like a porn body horror movie on this list. And I thought, oh, is it going to be forced entry? Is it going to be hard, hard gore? No, it's got to be. What's hard gore? Hard gore is a uh, porn horror film, which I encourage. This one, I actually do encourage all our listeners to look into. Uh, Man, can you imagine being like really cruel and like programming an Andy Milligan film at this point? Like... (laughs) I actually had a fun one that I was going to say here, but Will got me so jazzed about like making the viewer miserable (laughs) that I want to recommend something that is pretty well known, but I still feel that not enough people have seen, and that's Angst. Uh, It's a German film, and it's very simple. It's a story of a man that gets out of prison, and then it just follows him on that day, minute to minute, as he just goes to a cafe, follows someone, and brutally murders them. Hmm. And... While that sounds like a miserable experience and something that I myself would go like, why, why would I want to watch that? There's not much uh, character. Uh, there's voiceover narration kind of detailing the man's life as he's doing all these things. But what's curious about it is the way that it's shot. It was made by a music video and commercial director. And the way that he decides to film it is fascinating. One of the main angles that he uses is almost a video game style kind of God's eye where he used a camera pointed at a mirror that hovered behind the actor's uh, back. So the actor's walking around and you see looking down at him, but it's very smooth in the way that it moves so it's almost as if you're participating in what's going on but while still seeing it from a very dynamic angle so you're not quite sure how to feel about all of it it's a favorite of Gaspar Noé he actually stole a lot of it for his early films I actually thought as you were describing it it sounds exactly like I Stand Alone yes he basically completely ripped it off (laughs) Uh, the director of Angst only ever made this one movie from what I recall he funded it all himself and I think he just went back to commercials after that and just didn't get back into feature filmmaking it was a favorite of people like Stephen Thrower who's really big into like very personal difficult visions I remember reading it for the first time in the eyeball book that he wrote well i want to start to lift the viewer out of dreamland and move on to a slightly more fun movie it's ed wood's night of the ghouls you can't get me talking for too long without talking about ed wood this is the third in his kelton the cop trilogy (laughs) uh, which of course comprised bride of the monster plan nine from outer space and this one and this one is threadbare even by ed wood's standards it's a movie that's kind of thrown together out of a lot of footage that he had lying around. Uh, it, so the plot of the movie is that an investigator on the police force who deals in supernatural issues is called to the house of Dr. Acula, who's a phony Swami. 
uh, who is running, you know, a, a fraud saying that people can talk to their dead loved ones. But it turns out his powers are a little bit more powerful than he thought. And Tor Johnson, the Swedish wrestler, is back as Lobo, your favorite character from Bride of the Monster. <laughs> I Ch- love Lobo so much. Chelton the Cop <laughs> yeah. uh, is, is back doing his shtick. What is there not to love? Ed Wood putting his dreamlike vision over all of it. Well, dreamlike is the key word because the investigator is wearing a tuxedo in this movie. The reason he's wearing a tuxedo is because maybe 10 minutes of footage comes from a failed TV pilot that Ed Wood couldn't sell that has him and that actor in a tuxedo. So you get that. <laughs> and the, early in the movie, Criswell, the narrator, goes off on this rant about juvenile delinquency. And then we get a bunch of footage from juvenile delinquency. Well, that comes from a juvenile delinquency movie that Ed couldn't sell. And That's couldn't great. Finish. That's like a picture to Ed Wood's mind. Yeah. You get all these different facets just stitched together. And like uh, a dream... It goes through different styles and certain plot threads like the juvenile delinquency thing come up and then don't pay off. And also like a dream. Have you ever noticed in a dream that you don't really have a perception of what the space you're in, like, you know, what the depth of it is? Mm -hmm. What are the walls like? What are the what's the floor like? You just cut to like a close up shot or a medium shot of someone and you're like, what, where am I? Like, what's going on? And that's what Dr. Acula's house is like. You never get any sense of how big is it? Like, where are we in here? And what I also like about the movie is that it has a valedictory quality to it. Like this, you know, monogram pictures, horror movie style was already 20 years out of fashion when he made this in 1960. And this is also your last chance to see a lot of Ed's, you know, stock company to see that Edwood flavor that you loved from Plan 9, it has a bittersweet quality to it in that way. Mm-hmm. So my last movie, when I do marathons, I always like to pick a movie people kind of know and probably watched a long time ago and hopefully haven't revisited in a while. Uh, usually these films were staples on places like TBS. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why my film is Peter Jackson's The Frighteners. <laughs> uh, the big budget Flop, starring Michael J. Fox as a paranormal, uh, I guess he is an exorcist, but the gimmick is that he's friends with the ghosts, and he makes the ghosts go into people's houses, make a racket, and then he pretends to come and exorcise them. And what ends up happening is that he pisses off death, and he starts being able to see people who are going to die because they have numbers carved in their forehead. This is Peter Jackson at the nexus of going into big budget Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, the lovely bones, the lovely bones. Yes. In the sense that he still has that anarchic kind of energy to everything that's happening, but he's starting to lean into CGI, but the CGI in this movie is very charming. Uh, It wasn't quite there. And I think that gives it a nice feel because it does look kind of shitty and it's really dark for what it is which is essentially a big budget horror film that has a Danny Elfman score <laughs> and people know what that is but let me just say exactly exactly that if you saw the frighteners when you were a kid and you're like I liked it and you kind of forgot it watch it again because it's great and it also features an amazing Jeffrey Combs performance <laughs> that you may have forgotten, but like you'll just be blown away by it. Don't watch the director's cut. It's 13 minutes longer, and that movie does not need an extra 13 minutes. Watch some of the deleted scenes later on. Would you believe I've never seen it? When I said it, I was shocked that you you were just kind of like, mm-hmm. Cause you, well, you know, and you know why I think it is? It's because Peter Jackson is so associated in my mind these days with like prestige mm-hmm. filmmaking that like 
he's not the first guy I think of when I'm in the mood to watch something like The Frighteners, frankly. That's funny because, yeah. like, Peter Jackson, for me, I mm. got into him before the Lord of the Rings movies came out. Mm. So, like, it was Dead Alive for me. It was Bad Taste, which blew my mm. mind as, like, a film that people essentially shot in their backyard with a bunch of friends and meet the feebles which is a movie that i do not like but i can appreciate it and i'm here before you to say with shame that of those movies you mentioned the only one i've seen is meet the feebles you haven't seen whoa 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 you haven't seen dead alive i know it's like such a foundational film for you wow well me and you're gonna have to watch that let's watch it together that's gonna be a uh, let's do a patreon Patreon episode sure let's do it oh amazing okay i apologize oh now i'm starting to sweat i'm like (laughs) i don't know if will's gonna like this like maybe it'll be too much i'm sure i like i like evil dead movies yeah yeah. i like this exactly so what's your last movie will you're awake you want something fun to make pancakes to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Ugh, the greatest horror comedy of all time? Or Well, Shaun of the Dead is probably better. Yeah, but... okay. When I say greatest, the word I'm looking for is probably seminal. Yeah. Like, it is horror comedy in a nutshell. And the best part is, it still really works. Like, it's still funny. Growing up, you know, I loved the Universal horror movies. Even, even still today in my head, when I think horror movies, to some extent, I think, like, Boris Karloff as Frankenstein, mm-hmm. you know? This is a movie that has the Frankenstein monster, Dracula, and the Wolfman. You got Lugosi. You got Lon Chaney Jr. Uh, you got Glenn Strange. He's fine. Mm-hmm. And they're they're doing their they're doing their monster stuff, and they play it completely straight. Oh man, that drunken Lon Chaney barely stumbling through his lines. Beautiful. He also plays it so real. Oh, so real. Yeah. Like it's like he has DTs yeah. while he's doing it. Yeah. He's like, I don't want to change. So oh. they they take the monster stuff very seriously, and it has it has you know a really rousing finale in a big spooky castle. And you also got Abbott and Costello at their best. You know, the shtick they do in this movie is the shtick they would do from this point on for the rest of their career. You know, like, like the, the, the whole thing of the movie is, you know, Costello sees a monster and then he goes, <laughs> and then Abbott comes in and says, ah, Costello, there's no monster here. And that's, that's just it. It's crazy that like no one uses this movie as a lesson of how to do horror comedy, which mm-hmm. is like, you don't treat the monsters like a joke. Yeah. Cause the second you do that, it's not really a horror comedy anymore. It's a spoof. Yeah. So don't do that. But this movie's pure fun. Uh, also featuring Vincent Price as the Invisible Man. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're already going long on this, so let's wrap it up. Um, Our Patreon episode this week is us revisiting John Carpenter. Do we like him? I don't know. Let's find out. (laughs) You got to listen to the episode. (laughs) Specifically, we watch three films, The Fog, Escape from New York, and In the Mouth of Madness. So check that out if you want your John Carpenter fix. Next week, what are we doing, Will? Shocktober continues with one of the OGs of Shocktober. It's Bela Lugosi, Dracula himself. Pull the string. <laughs> A favorite of yours. Yeah, I love Bela Lugosi. What came first, him or Ed Wood? Um, Ed Wood. Really? Yeah, I think so. So you didn't fall in love with old Bela in Dracula or anything like that? You know, they maybe they were parallel obsessions for me. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely, well, I don't know. I love Bella. I, I, in some ways, like him even more than Boris Karloff, even though it's a somewhat indefensible position. So what are we watching? Dracula. We got to watch that. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's watch The Devil Bat from his Poverty Row period. And I know we've talked about Ed Wood a lot lately. Yeah. But, uh, maybe not an Ed Wood picture. Yeah. Uh, why not? Bella Lugosi yeah. meet the, the Brooklyn yeah. Gorilla. <laughs> 
We were both going for it at the same time. Let's do it. <laughs> Featuring uh, famed uh, unofficial mascots of the Port Cinema Club. Duke Mitchell and Sammy Petrillo. <laughs> the Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis imitators. Oh, great. Well, that's what we're going to be doing next week. Uh, make sure to check in because it's sure to be a scarifying time. And hey, where can they write us? They can write us at Important Cinema Club Podcast at gmail.com. You want to share some of your favorite horror movies of the season? Feel free to shoot them over. And until then, my name's Justin DeClue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. So, uh, there's a new horror movie coming out. <laughs> well, uh, coming out is a strong word. Uh, if you're listening and you're wondering, why were these episodes so late? I need my podcasts. Yeah. Number one, Patreon episodes. <laughs> Patreon listeners got their episodes. Yeah, you know, you you friggin' freeloaders <laughs> out there saying, where was, where was the episode? Why is it so late? How about give us money? <laughs> we're doing this for free. <laughs> Once we get a living wage, then we have to deliver. Yeah. Uh, but right now what's happening is that a feature film I directed, Impossible Horror, is going to be playing in the Toronto After Dark Film Festival. And, and we have to finish it. And that is an incredibly hard thing to do because like any project, when it gets right down to the end, every fucking thing goes wrong. <laughs> so I've just been putting fires out all week, trying to get it done, going to bed at 2 a.m. every day, every night. I haven't even really watched any movies this week, which is why we did the episode that we did. Every time I come in here, I see Emily like adding new footstep sound effects or yeah. doing something. So what can you say about the movie? Uh, it's about a young woman that hears a scream every night and she decides to go investigate what this scream could be and where could it be coming from. She teams up with another young woman that she meets uh, wandering the neighborhood and they go on a wild adventure that leads to Lovecraftian horror. But at the same time, I was when I was thinking about Lovecraft, something that kind of captures my imagination is the idea of this giant unknown. Like something that is so unimaginable to the human mind that they can't grasp it. So that was my starting point. Did I reach that goal? No. But, you know, I could say Lovecraft and that'll make viewers go, hmm, well, yeah, I know that. And then when there's not really any tentacle scenes, they'll be disappointed. <laughs> Well, listen, if it was good enough for the Toronto After Dark Film Festival, which I'm I'm honestly like, I'm proud of you. Oh, thanks. You know, thank you, Will. I, th I think it's really cool. And when and can we say when it's playing? Yeah, it's going to be playing on October 16th at 9.30 p.m. at the Scotiabank Cinema uh, in downtown Toronto. So come see it. If you're from out of town, if you're one of our fabled out of town <laughs> listeners, fly in. Uh, quit mm -hmm. your job and fly in yep. and you will have a chance to be in a room with both hosts of the important cinema club there's 550 seats in that cinema yeah come on <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's not gonna fill itself if we get all of our listeners there we, we can all fill of it. them all yeah. of them we can fill it listen if you come to the screening and you're from out of town you can have all our back catalog of Patreon episodes free. <laughs> That's a saving of $5 <laughs> if you come. I didn't say that you can have future Patreon episodes free. All of our back catalog. But I should also point out that this film has another star that uh, is probably going to make some waves. Oh, really? Right, Will? <laughs> Who could it possibly be? That is Important Cinema Club co-host Will Sloan. Oh, I'm such a huge fan of him. <laughs>
Uh, yes, folks, Will Sloan makes his acting debut. Pretty soon I'm going to have an IMDb page of my own. You will, actually. Like, on the card of the trailer, which you can find online by searching Impossible Horror Teaser Trailer on YouTube, the, the, we actually put a card that says starring Will Sloan at the end. Well, I'm with, like, seven people in the cast, but, like, I think that's really cool. I'm part of the ensemble cast. In fact, you tell me that, like, my character in is you are you are like a MacGuffin in the film that we keep cut like we see you as part of a big group of people mm-hmm. and then we mention you again and then you come back later in the film spoiler not played by will played by someone else but the audience doesn't know that they'll just assume it's the same person and that bothers me because i think i know what this guy does no it's not that scene oh okay. yeah don't okay. worry don't worry uh no one will assume that will goes full nude in the film <laughs> i think i would probably ask you that if yeah that was the case. i would appreciate that um and and i have a big scene too involving makeup so, oh that's right yeah, yeah. so wait till you see and that. if you want all the stories of how will giggled when he, the makeup was being put on <laughs> or how method he was doing research to get <laughs> the breathing down of how he could lay correctly well you gotta meet us at the screening of impossible horror and if you ask us a question you start it with hey justin big fan of the important cinema club i'll appreciate that but only one person if someone else asks a question, please don't say that again, because it'll be very confusing for everybody. I'll ask a question. I'll say, hey, Justin, big fan of Teddy Bomb. <laughs> yeah, uh, there you go. Because <laughs> if you're like, well, I can't fly uh, in from Impossible Horror, but I do have this $30 burning a hole in my pocket. Well, you should order Teddy Bomb, <laughs> my other feature film, on Blu-ray right now. All right, that's enough advertising. Yeah. <laughs> the Important Cinema Club infomercial.